Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, saints and inks, welcome to the podcast for the 864th Engineer Battalion Unit Bible Study. Y'all know me. My name is Chaplain Kevin Benton Jr. Thank you for listening, and you can hear us wherever you can get your podcast. Please remember to rate our podcast, review it, and please give us five stars. If you give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe that you are a hater and the chaplain is praying for you. And now, with no further delay, here is the recording of our most recent unit Bible study. All right, so we got our podcast going and everything like that. We can go ahead and start with, uh, let's start with prayer first. Uh, Father, you, you want to pray since you keep talking? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I question. Oh, you want to pray? I have a question. Anyway. <laughs> all right, Father, uh, bless us as we go into study your word. Help us to all glean something from the, uh, the scriptures today um, as we study your word. Thank you for everybody that's here. Those that may be on their way, we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... We are in Genesis 6. So uh, every week, y'all know what we do. Go through the five W's, right? So uh, it'll be really essential every week, but particularly this week too, okay? All right, so uh, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Very good. Moses, all right? And what was going on that caused Moses to write the book of Genesis? I can't forget. It's in the purpose. Was it false teachers? No. No, no, that's. Well, hey, there you go, Jones. All right. All right what is no, because you said that last time. <laughs> so I didn't remember. It's like historical and theological. Very good. Yeah, that, it's that, historical that. and theological. Way to go, Wilson. All right, so it's it's historical in the sense. What makes it historical? In that it, it gives a story of creation and, and uh, the family of you know the Jewish people and how their history. And then it also gives a theological um, and understanding it's not meant to just be historical record um, and everything. It's meant to give us the history to serve a purpose. So the history that it gives serves a purpose. So you want to think? You want something? Okay. Don't miss these brownies, sir. Okay. All right. So, um, so we got the who, we got the what. So remember, Israel is um, on uh, around Mount Sinai. They're about to go into the promised land. So God wants them to understand their history and how it fits into his overall plan. Everybody tracking? Yeah. All right. So when was it? Who, who, what, when? All right. When was it written? 1445. Say again? 14th uh, century. Uh, not 14th century, but uh, 1400s BC. Absolutely. All right. Good stuff. And where were they? I just already said it, but for somebody... Sinai. Sinai. Very good. All right. And why was Genesis written? What's on the purpose and occasion um, that's on there? I just thought, I just said it right. Yeah, you kind of just said it to give a historical. Somebody add to what Corporal Wilson said. Historical and theological foundation for the rest of the Bible. Yep. Historical and theological foundation for the rest of the Bible. So there had been the, uh, the major event that the Bible starts off with in Genesis 1 is what? God creates the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it. And then, you know, everything that God made, the Bible says that God made this and it was good and it was good. Everything God made was good. And then what happened to God's good creation? Sin, Sin entered in. All right. Very good. And as what what tree? What was the name of the tree that Adam and Eve uh, ate from? Tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there was some type of knowledge that they gained. All of this is going to come back into play today, I promise you. Uh, some type of knowledge that they gained or were trying to gain that was evil and actually led to, um, led to the fall and led to sin being uh, coming into the earth. 
And so as a result of the fall, all human beings then became naughty, naughty by nature. Exactly. All right. We became that. That's how we do it. We, we don't actually do the OPP song. You know, we just actually, you know, but that's the easy way of uh, keeping keeping it in our minds and everything. All right. So then we talked about uh, Cain and Abel and all this other good stuff. So in Genesis one through three, a lot of people and I've um, been learning even this week is in studying and thinking about it. It's not just Genesis 3 with the story of Cain and Abel, not Cain and Abel, but um, Adam and Eve eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is the explanation of why sin is so rampant in the world. We're going to see today that Genesis 6 also adds to that and could be even more primary reason why we are not only naughty by nature, but sin just continues. Remember, we said sin doesn't just duplicate. It does what? It multiplies. All right. So let's look into Genesis six and we're going to we're going to have if we get through the first six verses, I'll be surprised um, and everything. But there's a lot to it. And I want to entertain your questions. And you might get some I don't know's from me today because some of this stuff is not 100 um, percent clear. But what is we're going to dig into it today, man. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. All right. So somebody kick us off with uh, Genesis reading verses uh, one through two. Gonzalo, would you do that for me, please? This one, yep. Okay. Uh, Genesis chapter six. I'm sorry. Oh, my apologies. Matter of fact, um, Big Sarge, can you grab uh, Matthew 24 and 37? And we're going to um, reference that as well. Okay, so just this whole six? Just uh, verses one and two, please. Okay, one and two, perfect. Then the people began to multiply on the earth. Daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. All right, so when it says uh, my version, so anybody else got a different version? Because I want to go ahead. I have English Standard Version. Okay, I love it. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. All right, good stuff. So the big controversy that happens here is who are the sons of God? That is in this particular chapter. All right. There is all kinds of theological discourse, uh, disagreement, um, conversation, dialogue and stuff about who these sons of God are. So one key thing I want you all to always know is whenever there is a uh, the Bible interprets the Bible. So if you're trying to figure out what um, a word is or how it's referenced, look somewhere else in the Bible to see how it's referenced. Does that make sense? And use that as a comparison to say, okay, well, if the sons of God are here, is there any else in anywhere else in the Bible where sons of the term sons of God is used? And maybe the Bible will explain it a little bit more in that particular portion. Does that make sense? All right. So I'm going to give you some um, I'm going to say false ones, some other alternative views. And then we'll explain um, what I believe the view is the scripture is actually saying and why everybody understand so far. All right. So we're trying to find out who are the sons of God in verses one um, and two. So in, in most seminaries, they will teach you that the sons of God in this particular verse uh, and verses are the godly line of Seth. So remember, we had Cain and Abel. And then in uh, the last chapter, we realized that um, Adam and Eve had another son, which was called Seth. So when Abel was killed, we got Cain's line, which a lot of people thought was uh, the negative line or the sinful line. And then Seth's line was the godly line. So you have both of them. 
um, is what some people think. So we got Cain, and then we had Seth. So remember last week that we said that the Bible had given us some type of uh, hint that Cain maybe was not, did not live out his life in the sinful way, but that he repented. Anybody remember what it was that we kind of figured out that uh, why that might have been? Wilson, you want to show up again? Not this time. Go ahead. Wasn't he named his son? Exactly. He named his sons. And that the names of his sons had L, E-L, at the end of it. And L means what? Anybody remember? God. And so and the fact that Cain named his sons godly names um, says that, you know, there's, it's likely that he repented um, and everything like that. So that, you know. Um, so, again, not only that. So we, we, I don't believe that. One, because the evidence is not there in the scriptures that says that this is the godly line of Seth, all right? Number two, this is not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. Seth is not mentioned anywhere else in scripture as it pertains to this, and there's nothing else in scripture that would confirm that this is the godly line of Seth. Does that make sense? All right? So there's another um, view that believes that um, the sons of God are human beings that were demonized. Um, you know, in different things. So they were not under godly influence, but they were, you know, demonized. So the, again, no scriptural support, nothing else in scripture confirms, you know, this particular, uh, that particular theory. Everybody follow so far? All right, any questions so far? I want to make sure I'm not, in my excitement, getting too far ahead of y'all and everything. Everybody good? All right, good stuff. All right, here we go. It's going to get good. So, um, Sorry, uh, no, we ain't gonna have you read that one yet. Jonesy, I want you to grab, so we're gonna look now, where else in scripture, there's four other times in scripture that, or yes, four other times in scripture that the word sons of God is used. So we're gonna look at all four of them. Everybody tracking? Mm-hmm. All right, so Jones, would you grab Job one and six, uh, Sergeant, I keep forgetting your last name now because I'm always calling you by your first name, Brown. <laughs> Sergeant Brown, would you grab Job two and one? Um, my beautiful Flat, would you grab Job 38 and verse 4? And then Wilson, would you grab Luke in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke chapter 20? And we're going to start at verse 34. Everybody what, tracking? What was I in? You had Matthew 24 and 37. All right. So let's go ahead. Let's start with you, uh, Big Sarge. Read Matthew 24 and 37. You got it? Uh, yes. All right. Let's go. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, Jesus is saying there, so as in the days when Noah was, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. So if we understand what was happening in the days of Noah, then and um, then we understand that. And when we see that in this particular you know, time frame, then we'll know, hey, Jesus is getting ready to come back. Does that make sense? So that's what Jesus is telling us. So Noah enters the story here in chapter 6 as a result of what happens in these particular verses. Everybody follow me so far? Mm-hmm. You sure? All right, listen. All right, Jones, you had uh, Job 1 and 6. What does that say? The Lord gave this message to Job, son of Bethel. Mm-hmm. Um, a vast army of lotus has invaded my land, a terrible army, too numerous to count. It's deep, like the lion's teeth. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What, what, what book are you are in? Are you in Job? Job. Job. Oh, Job. Oh, you was in Job. Okay, was in I was Job. like, wait a minute. That sounds prophetic. I was like, you know. <laughs> what is it, Job? Yeah, I was J-O-B. like. Yeah, like right God. before Psalms. Um, oh, God. Yeah, there we go. My bad. <laughs> she was going to take Bible study a whole other route, you know. <laughs> there once was a man named Job. 
Yep. So skip down to verse 6 for me. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. All right. Anybody else got a different version of that? Uh, I'm using my phone for this podcast. Me too. I can, I can find it, though. No, that's fine. Job 1. Yep. So what did George say, uh, Jones? What did they call him? It said the, the members of Job 1 and 6. The members of the heavenly court. All right, so we got members of the heavenly court. This Marcus says. So in verse 6 of ESV, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God. Say it again. Yeah. Now there was a day uh-huh. when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. All right, and we know that Satan used to be a what? An angel, all right? So we got this heavenly court that is meeting with God. And what are the members that are called that are showing up in this court? The sons of God. Sons of God, all right? So we see that there in Job 1 and 6. And then also in Job 2 and 1, what you got, uh, Sergeant Brown? One day the members of the heavenly court came in to present themselves before the Lord. And the accused of Satan came with them. So again, you see the same verbiage. Members of the heavenly court, uh, different versions says sons of God, and they're all, they're coming into God's presence. And we know human beings, you ain't just walking up into God. So we understand that these are heavenly beings, which says to us that they're what? Sons of God. They're angels. They're angels, exactly. All right. So we're not just looking at Job's word for it, but then also in Job 38, 4 through 7. Who had that one? I do. Okay. So this is when Job is, I mean, God is answering Job. Right. He's complaining and complaining and complaining, and this is the end. And God is saying, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone mm-hmm. when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So again, he's talking about, hey, where were you in the beginning when I, when I established the earth? And he says, when he established the earth, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Were human beings there when God established the earth? No. Absolutely not. So again, we have another confirmation that these sons of God who are spoken of are definitely what? Angels. And then we also have it in uh, Luke 20, uh, verse 34. Go ahead, Wilson. Yep. Jesus replied, the people of the age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy are taken apart, the age become, and in the reconstruction? Resurrection? Resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. If they can no longer die. For they are like the angels. They are God's children. Say it again. For they are like what? Like the angels. Uh-huh. And they are what? God's children. God's children. All right. Since they are the children of the resurrection. So there it says children of God, sons of God, same language. So we have four different examples in scripture. Every time, every time we see the word sons of God used in scripture, these four instances is always referring to what? Angels. So the scripture is giving us evidence within itself that the sons of God referred to in verses 1 and 2 are talking about angelic beings. Everybody tracking? All right. So what did we see that the angelic beings? Now let's go back to Genesis 6 
What did we see that the angels actually did? What did they do? Saw the daughters of man. Uh huh. Okay, so who would the daughters of men be? What, what is the Bible talking about there when it says the daughters of men? Women. Women, exactly. They saw, so, you know, I don't want to, you know, the, the angels is up in heaven and they looking down like, wait a minute, Jones and Wilson down there looking kind of cute, you know what I'm saying? So the angels is like, we're going to leave heaven, take on humanly form, and then take wives to themselves. Oh, Exactly, exactly. This is, this is what the Bible is saying. <laughs> now you see why I was so excited, right? So it's like, okay, wow, this is, this is pretty dope. All right, and saw, and saw that they were beautiful and they took with them and chose them uh, they, as wives. So does this seem like this is a voluntary thing, you know, um, that they're describing? Nope. Nope, okay, because it says they took them and chose them for themselves. So these are angels. These are not human beings coming from the sky who are like we are. These are angelic beings that were created by God that are choosing to leave where God has ordained and purpose for them to be and pervert that purpose and come down here and interact and, and actually have sex and produce offspring with human women. Everybody understand so far? All right, any questions so far? Y'all see Jones' eyes. <laughs> All right, so our conclusion is we see that the angels, or excuse me, they are angels. All right, so now, this seems, let's be honest, it seems, um, what's going on, Bree? Sorry, I'm late. No, you, yeah, you're going to make it. some pizza. Yes, please. So, there's also two other places in scripture that confirm that this is what actually happened. Because I don't know about y'all, but like hearing this, it's like, okay, could there be another interpretation? But if the Bible again references this particular event, then we ought to know about it. Everybody understand? So, um, Sergeant Brown, would you grab um, Jude, the second to last book of the Bible? It's only one chapter, so verses five and six. And then, uh, Big Sarge, if you can grab um, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses four and six. And when y'all get it, let us know. Is it verses five and six? Yep. Okay, go for it. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. But later, he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. All right, so listen right here. Here it goes. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belong. God has kept them secretly chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. One more. And don't forget Sodom, Sodom, Sodom and, and Gomorrah, Gomorrah. Uh -huh. and their neighboring towns, which were filled in immortally and every kind of sexual uh, provision, perversion. Of perversion, those things were destroyed by fire and served as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Absolutely. So what does the Bible say that the angels, uh, what did it say about the angels? We'll key in on that part again. They left without permission. They All right, so it, does that sound exactly like what Genesis 6 says? Mm -hmm. All right, so again, we have that. Now, Peter, and this will be key, uh, con you know, to give you context of this, or excuse me, Jude is writing to address false teachers. All right, there's false teaching going around, and Jude is writing and saying, hey, remember what happened to the angels when they sinned and they left their, you know, where they were supposed to be in, in um disobeyed God's authority and remember what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, how they were involved in sexual perversion as well. So he used the sexual perversion of two different people.
the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody connecting the dots. All right, and then we got one more. So go go for it. Second um, Peter two four through six. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes so do y'all see this consistent theme talking about what happened in the days of Noah, talking about the angels who sinned and then talking about um, Sodom and Gomorrah. All of this sinful stuff is taking place in the Bible in multiple places is talking about the same events. Everybody follow so far. All right. So we can see now we kind of got a picture of what has been painted. Now, normally I wouldn't. Yeah, I would probably do this normally. But there's a book that's not in the Bible that actually gives a whole lot more detail into this. And I wanted y'all to pick it up. You know where I'm going, don't you? All right. What is it? Enoch. Enoch. Exactly. Now, Enoch is not a what we call a book in the 66 books or the I don't even want to get the faith. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The canonized book or the books that have been accepted um, as being inspired by God. So if you want to take notes, then it's fine. But I, I, some of y'all have probably heard this before. When the the people who um, put the Bible together that uh, selected the books that would go in the Bible, they did not choose which books were inspired. This is really key when you hear this. They did not choose which books of the Bible were inspired by God. They recognized the inspiration of God. Does that make sense? So in other words, they're not saying, oh, this one is it, this one is it. There were different markers that they looked for to determine which books bore the signs of divine inspiration. So one of them was it could not contradict something. Well, one of them was um, it had to be written by an apostle, a follower of Jesus, or referred to by a, 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 an apostle of Jesus. So if Peter, James, John, if any of them, if Jesus referenced that particular book, then that definitely would be a book that's inspired. Does that make sense? All right. Um, so if it contradicted anything that was in a book that was inspired, then it was automatically thrown out because God's not the author of confusion. He's not going to say go left in one book and then say go right in another book. All right. Um, it could not have any errors in it. If it had some error in it, we know God is perfect and he don't make mistakes. So if the book had any errors in it, then, you know, it was not accepted. So it was these three things. And I think there was another fourth one. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was things like that, that. That when they went through and they started looking at all of these books, they started saying, hey, these marked ones bear the marks of divine inspiration. Now, let me slow down. The entire reason that we have the Bible is because what started happening in the time frame of the New Testament is when Paul and Peter and Jude and everybody else were writing their books, which were definitely inspired, people started to write other books and using John's name. They would use Paul's name and say, hey, this is Paul writing this. And they would write something that was not that did not reflect what Paul would actually be saying. Does that make sense? And so the church then has this um, thing and say, hey, how do we make sure people know which books are inspired and which ones aren't? And that's when they came up with that list of, uh, you know, the criteria. And that's why we have the Bible. Does that make sense? All right. So they wanted to protect the church from these false teachers that were using the names and authority of men of God, but actually teaching stuff that was contrary to what Jesus had taught and the disciples were teaching. 
Does that make sense so far? What was the name of that book? Uh, Enoch. Enoch? Yep, and I'm going to read it for you. So listen to what, um, now, while Enoch is not an inspired book and should not be considered one for uh, different reasons, I want you to hear what he says. Uh, the first um, 36 chapters of his book is called The Watchers. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. This is really uh, where it gets interesting. All right, it's called The Watchers. That's the and, first chapter? Yep, uh, the first 36 chapters, and it's called The Watchers. And so in Enoch, he says... In Enoch 6 and 1, he says, And when the sons of men had multiplied in those days, beautiful and comely daughters were born to them. Sound like what we was reading? All right. And the watchers, the sons of heaven, saw them and desired them. And they said to one another, Come, let us choose for ourselves wives from the daughters of men, and let us beget our, for ourselves children. Then they all swore together and bound one another with a curse. And they were all of them, 200 who descended in the days of Jared onto the peak of Mount Hermon. Next chapter says, these and all the others with them took for themselves wives from among them such as they chose. And they began to go into them and to defile themselves through them and to teach them sorcery and charms and to reveal to them the cutting of roots and plants. And they conceived and bore to them great giants and the giants begat Nephilim. All right. So that word Nephilim, we're getting ready to see that. So in essence, what Enoch is confirming is exactly what Jude and what Peter said. Angel and Genesis says angels left their heavenly abode. They came down, started sleeping with human women and their offspring was called the Nephilim. All right. That's where we get giants from. Who's that big giant in the Bible that we hear about that was killed? Goliath. And so this is where we get these giants and people who were had superhuman strength and different things like that. All of that comes from this ungodly line that was started by angels that left the heavenly abode. Pretty interesting. Eh? Yes, ma'am. But I have a question because this is before the flood. Say again. This is before the flood. We're going to get there. So it, it, it is. So it's before the flood. And so let's let's go verse by verse and then we'll get to there. Because uh, what she's saying is, hey, this happened and then everybody dies in the flood. The Bible is going to answer that question for us of what happens. So I see where you're going. I love you. All right. So let's keep going um, where we, we left off on. So does everybody understand what's happening in verse one and two? If You, you know, we got time. So let's take our time. Everybody. Yes. A brain. Uh, how do you spell that word? Nephilim. Oh, yes. It's in the Bible, so if you... Oh, Depend, yeah, depending like on what version you have. All right. Um, so um, everybody understands verses 1 and 2. Yes. All right. And we see sons of God confirmed in several different places. So we understand that we're not talking about anything that the Bible isn't referencing somewhere else. All right. Um, next one. Verse 3. Somebody, anybody, read verse 3 for me. Genesis. Genesis. I'm sorry. We've been doing hopscotch. <laughs> then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Anyone in the Bible. All right. So God is like, look, I ain't going to put up with y'all forever. Your end is going to come in 120 years. Does everybody see that? Anybody else's version? What does your version say? Sorry, we're trying to no, you're good. You're good. I'm saying, like, basically the same thing. Um, normal lifespan will be no longer than 120. Did you just say that? Yep, yep. The lifespan will be. So in 120 years, something is about to happen. All right? So this is where it, it gets even more fun. 
Now remember, there was this beef that Genesis 3 and 15 starts talking about. And it, it said that um, because of what happened, that the seed of Satan would be at odds and have beef with the seed of the woman. Did I do that? So in Genesis 3 and 15, anybody, will somebody read that for me? The, does it go like, and I will cause hostility between yep. you and the woman? Yep. And between your offspring and her offspring. All right. So remember, we have the offspring of the seed of the woman, which is eventually going to produce who? Anybody remember? Man, of course, yeah, all those things are worked out. But remember, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are going to have beef. And they're always going to have beef. And remember, keep reading what it says. So maybe that will give us a hint. Um, is it 15? Yes. And he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. All right, so remember we said that the seed of the woman was going to crush the seed of Satan. What seed of the woman crushed the seed of Satan? Jesus. Jesus, exactly. So, the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent. Everybody understand? So, as a result of today, who now do we see is part of the seed of the serpent? The giant. The giants, the Nephilim, exactly. So, the, the enemy knows now that he's got 120 years before God destroys the earth because that's what we read in verse 3. So what does he try to do? He tries to infiltrate the seed of the woman because he says, if I keep letting the seed of the woman keep going, eventually she's going to produce someone that is going to ruin my entire kingdom. So watch this now. He goes and says, I'm going to try to infiltrate all of the women and not just have a pure seed. I'm going to put Nephilim all in the seed of the woman so that there would not be a pure seed that would come forth to be able to crush his king. Y'all see that? Pretty deep, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty okay. deep, ain't it? All right. So God sees all of this happening. Now, I, I got to admit, that was a pretty decent strategy by the enemy there. It's like, hey, if you know the seed of the woman and you got beef, you know, I'm going to get you on to my side by putting some of my kids with your kids. And, you know, maybe we can all be, you know, one big horrible uh, Nephilim uh, demonic family. So <laughs> now there is some credence to people that believe that um, the Nephilim or the offspring of these angels and human women is where we get demons from. All right. The demons and fallen angels are not the same thing. It's their offspring. The mixture of those two, that would be what a lot of people believe that that's where demons come from. 
Everybody a understand? Wait, a mixture of Say again? A mixture of what? Uh, the hybrids that were the, the seed of the um, human women mm -hmm. and that were impregnated by angels. All right, so you've got some uh, divine seed, and then you've got some human seed that mix together and create this hybrid, and a lot of people believe that that's where demons come from. Everybody follow so far? All right, good stuff. Man, this is, all right, so let's go to verse 4 and gen go back to Genesis 6. Now we're going to verse 4. Anybody got it? All right, go for it. So, what did it say? The Nephilim were in the earth in those, those days. days and when? Also and also afterward. So, we know the flood is about to come. So, the Bible is telling us that not only were the Nephilim, these offspring um, coming from human women and angel, not only were they in the world during those days, but they also were doing this when? Afterwards. After what? After, the, after what? What big event is getting ready to happen? Blood. The flood. So you think that that is referring to the flood? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that's what the Bible is indicating because we see this happening with Goliath and with all of these different other things. And even when you look at the root word for Nephilim um, and different things like that, that's where we get the word for Titan. So a lot of where we get these Greek gods and, and different things like that, I'm not saying that the, the, they were actually true you know, stories and everything, but the concept of where people got that from came from the Nephilim. Does everybody understand? All right. Go ahead. So I'm clarifying. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's so, why we're here. Or maybe I'm getting ahead of you. I should do About might, them yeah. surviving. So the reason they were able to survive is because they weren't fully human. So they were able to survive the flood because they were half spirit and half man. So I, I think the Bible is very clear that every every per, everything on earth died with the exception of Noah and his and his children. That was flesh. So I think what the text is indicating is that even after the flood, these angels kept leaving their heavenly abode and coming down and having sex with human women. All right. And now we can get into a whole discussion on this. And we got we got time again. We ain't in no rush. We ain't under no uh, time limit as far as how long we stay in Genesis six. But if you look all throughout the Bible, you'll see different stories about angels who were in human form. So if you look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, there were angels that came down um, and, and, uh, and you know, wanted to have sex with the men that were there. So there was the, that type of perversion. So we see different stories in the Bible uh, when Jacob wrestled with an angel um, and different things in, in the book of Genesis. Over and over again, we see angels that have the ability to take on human form and interact with human beings. Even in the New Testament, Paul tells the church there that some of you have entertained angels and were not aware of it. But there's, so what you're saying is that there are bad angels, mm -hmm. the demons. Yes. And there are good angels, which are messengers of God. Absolutely. That could also take you. Absolutely. And we're, we're, and we're doing things on behalf of God. Absolutely. So, now here's the... Uh, go ahead, Bri. Um, so what you just said, that the demons were the angels that came to earth? Almost. Almost. The demons would be the offspring of the angels that came to earth and, and I was about to say made it like they're animals and had sex with human women. So would the angels like still be considered angels? No, they, 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 
Well, uh, can I just Sure, go ahead. So I disagree. I think that I think that angels who went beyond the confines of what God allowed them, uh-huh. those angels that had sex with men and with women, I believe those are the demons. Okay. They're, because they're spirit. But they, but if, if, if angels, and I'm not an authority, it's just my opinion. Gotcha. Okay. So, because angels can take human form, so fallen angels can take human form, and God's messengers can take human form. Like the, like I think those, those, those men in, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, that were trying to get into Lot's house. Yeah, were demons in human form because it doesn't make sense if angels, if bad angels, um, took sons of women. I mean, sons of men, uh, women, uh, women, mm-hmm. and had children. But we don't see godly angels doing the same. Right. Because that was out of because that was out of God's purview. That's he didn't allow that. He didn't want that. Yes. So but I think demons are still spirit beings. Do you believe demons are still spirit beings? I believe that the Bible indicates that these Nephilim were no longer spirit being um, because again, you know, we see the word right there. Uh, and let's let's just take straight yes. for what the Bible says. In those days, and for some time after, is what the version of this little um, what is this New Living Translation? Um, it says, "In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children, who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times." Like Nimrod. Dog on it, that ain't interesting right there. You know what I'm saying? Say again? Like Nimrod. Exactly. So uh, again, these, these, the, the Bible is, is at some point we know because of the scripture that we already read that at some point God put a stop to this. All right? Because let's go back to, in, and I'll read it for you. In Jude 5 and 6, it says, The angels who did not keep their position but abandoned their proper dwelling... He has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on that great day. All right. So, again, we see Jude is confirming for us at some point God put a stop to all this and said, hey, all you angels that keep leaving your heavenly abode and doing things I told you not to do. He's locked them up in a dark pit. Of the, I don't want to get into the technical term, but it's a deeper part of hell, like, a, a, like almost like a bottomless pit. So God's done locked them up. All right, so this is not something that anybody got to worry about. Uh, no angel coming down and having sex with you. God done already dealt with all of those, you know, those negative angels. Everybody tracking. I don't want nobody having nightmares. <laughs> you get it. Yes. 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 So I want to really get to the, um, the crux of this. And now there is one interesting story that I, uh, I was reading that talked about how at least one of the angels. Um, and again, this is not Bible. This is coming from outside sources. One of these angels actually was coming down to try to help. And so they say, hey, we see the wickedness in the world. And they were coming to try to give, catch the key word, knowledge and wisdom to human beings on how to fix the problem of sin. 
So, but was it the angel's place? Was that what was prophesied by God that was going to be the savior that would fix this particular issue? Absolutely not. So, when else in the Bible did people get in trouble for trying to use their own knowledge and wisdom? Say again? The Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. But what earlier in the Bible, the tree of knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. Well, so remember. That's how we got into this mess. Say again? That's how we got exactly. into this mess. Exactly. That's how we got into this mess is when we, watch this now, when we try to do a good thing but not a God thing. So even angels are not exempt from saying, hey, we see something good. Let me see if I can empower these human beings and tell them some good uh, wisdom that comes from heaven, knowledge that comes from heaven, but God never intended for them to have it. Does that make sense? So this is what Jude was addressing with these false teachers and different things like that, is that there was this um, lineage of people that thought that they, because they had the lineage of these Nephilim in their bloodline, that they were special. And so they thought that they were uh, superior. And so what the rest of the Bible and Jude and Peter is addressing is saying, hey, you've got wisdom, but that wisdom doesn't come from God. You might be smart. So and, and then this is where it really gets good. And we can um, come back next week because me, we're already five minutes out. There are a lot of anybody ever thought about how the pyramids were built? And Stonehenge and a lot of these other sites. I love looking at YouTube documentaries of the pyramids oh, yeah. and stuff. And it's like there are these insanely heavy, uh, insanely heavy pieces of um, stone that were taken way up this pyramid, and they didn't have no elevators. They didn't have no doggone helicopters to get this stuff up there, and ain't no human being that strong that's going to push these things all the way up and get them not pretty shaped. They're 100% accurately shaped into the shape of a pyramid. Now, where does that kind of wisdom come from? Where does that kind of strength come from? I believe we have the answer to that by looking at what the Bible says about what these Nephilim were capable of. They have divine wisdom, that it, not human wisdom, but divine knowledge and wisdom of stuff. They came down here and started doing things that God was not displeased, that God was not pleased with. Everybody follow so far? All right. So let's, I want to read a couple verses just so we don't leave you there. Uh, for the sake of time, I'll read it. And it says the Lord, in verse 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Do we see the picture that God is trying to paint? Everything y'all are thinking is evil, it's wrong, it's not a person alive that's not thinking about doing something evil. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry on the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. And don't you love it when the Bible says something like that, but then it ends with but. Thank God that there was a but and that God didn't just leave us with, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. He says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. And this is the account of Noah. We're going to end here in this verse. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Watch what he says here. The only blameless person living on the earth at that time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. When he talks about the only blameless person, he's not saying that there was nothing that Noah ever did like Noah was sinless. He's saying Noah was the only person at that time that did not have 
the seed of the Nephilim inside. So his lineage was one of, if not the only lines of genealogy now that God could still produce the seed of the woman through that would end up eventually becoming who? Jesus. Jesus. So not only was Noah important because he was a righteous man, but imagine now the earth had become so populated with Nephilim and this, this mixture, this hybrid mixture of human beings and angels that disobeyed God, that God says, hey, if my will is going to be done, I've got to find a way to make sure that the seed of the woman is protected. Pretty dope, ain't it? But even at that point, he was able to protect the lineage that Noah even existed. Yes. Even yeah. existed. Yeah. No matter how evil the world gets, no matter how bad things get, if you'll see all throughout the Bible, there is always a righteous person that God has found, that God has preserved to make sure that his will is going to be done. Even when the Egyptians began to wipe out all of the babies, uh, trying to stop the spread of the Israelites from growing um, and different things like that, Moses was hid by his mom. God's protecting his seed. All throughout the lineage, all throughout the Old Testament, this is the theme, this is the constant theme that is running through the Old Testament. God is trying to establish his seed through man and women, pure man and woman, but the enemy is trying to destroy the seed of the woman. I believe when we look at a lot of, um, I'll say it like this, when we look at a lot of perversion in the world today, it's the enemy still trying to destroy the seed of human beings. And God's will, and all, even large. Absolutely. You know, because the Jewish people are assigned people, they're not special. They're very stubborn, actually, very rebellious people. But God cut covenant with them to show his loving kindness yeah. to mankind. Yes. And the enemy has always tried to destroy the Jews because in Romans 11 it says that all Israel will be saved. So there's a there's a plan for that people, even yeah. though they were rebellious and all the things. I mean, just not good. Yeah. Not following God's law. Yeah. Not following God's yeah. plan. But God said all Israel will be saved. And you see the enemy coming in with, you know, the Holocaust and all the thing, all the history of the Jewish people to be annihilated. Yeah. Um, but God will preserve them yeah. somehow. Has yeah. preserved them. And, and to, to even further summarize what she's saying is absolutely true. God's whole purpose, and when we get to Genesis 12, if I'm still here by that time, we're only in verse 6 or chapter 6. But we're not going to finish Genesis, obviously, while I'm here. But um, we'll, we see that God's original plan, you'll see this in chapter 12, was to take the Jews and use them as an example so the entire world would be blessed. And so God is taking this group of people and he says, hey, I'm going to be good to y'all. I'm going to bless you all. I'm going to favor you all so that all of these surrounding nations, when they look and see how good I am to you, they'll want to be like y'all, too. They'll want to worship me and serve me, too. But instead of them influencing everybody around them, guess what happened? It was vice versa. They started getting influenced. So now does God just leave the Israelites where they are? And then he says, no, at some point. God, when he comes back, is going to restore the Jewish people because they're still his people. He's going to restore them as his own. Now, not that he's ever abandoned that they're not his own, but that rightful place that they have in God's heart. He's going to redeem them just like he has redeemed us. 
and it will be a furtherance of, of God's love and his mercy, his loving kindness being shown by restoring them back to the place that they were always meant to be. Does that make sense? So, man, this, we, we could go on forever, but this is, I was like all excited when I was reading this stuff. I'm like, man, you know, like all of this, um, it's just a lot going on. But we see, I think what God is really trying to demonstrate is when God brought the flood, there was a reason for that. God is never, ever going to allow something like the flood to take place without a purpose behind it. And we just look at the action, but we don't understand the purpose of it, then we'll miss what God is really doing. So a lot of these nations will be seeing the Old Testament, and I promise y'all go ahead and get ready to stand so we can, I can shut up and stop talking. A lot of these nations, when you'll see God tell them, hey, go wipe this people out. Don't leave none of them alive. Why do we think now that some of these people, when God was telling them to wipe that people out, why do you think he was doing it? Because they had what? They had the potential of overtaking. They had the potential of that bloodline doing something God never intended for it to be done. So God is looking at the bigger picture, and he's trying to make sure that he preserves um, his will, you know, his, you know, the plan that he's always had. God always, no, nothing, nothing catches God by surprise. Um, and he's going to always make sure that his plan for your life, for our life, and for his will, his kingdom, he's going to make sure that that plan that he has to spend eternity with us is always protected because that's the measure of his love for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all intrigued yet? Did I bore y'all too much this, this week? No. <laughs> Ray's like, no. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much. This was a, um, a lot of maybe technical stuff and everything, but it's important for us to learn. Everything that you put in the Bible is put there for a reason. And we just want to learn. We want to learn more about you. And today we saw some stuff that uh, some of us were unfamiliar with and are still learning. But I pray that everyone was um, built up by it. Um, and we thank you for everybody that's here, for the camaraderie that's in this group. Well, thank you for the brownies, um, for the food that was dropped on the floor, all of that. That's why we pray for it. Uh, <laughs> so thank you. Bless us as we go through the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.